This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. With me, as always, is Mr. Kyle Hauk. Yo. It's happening. And today we have the pleasure of a very special guest that I met on LinkedIn, Mr. Bob Paskins from Portland, Oregon. Bob, how you doing, man? I'm well, David. Thank you very much for having me in. My pleasure. So what we always do, I don't have any of these, you know, trendy little ask a crazy question type things. I want to get right to the point. So why don't you tell people a little bit about your background and where you came from, and then we'll let that lead into what you're doing now. Yeah, thanks, David. So I started, I've been kind of an insurance geek pretty much all of my professional career. So uh, <laughs> I was a radio station DJ coming right out of college, which was a lot of fun, but absolutely no pay. So the lifestyle was great, but uh, I wasn't really sure what, if that was going to be it for me. And then my parents, thankfully, kind of wrangled a good friend and said, you know what, you got to help kind of set this guy up on what might be a good career for him. So I met him. His name was Pat. He was great. And he introduced me to the world of commercial insurance. And he said, the great thing about commercial insurance is once you kind of grind your teeth and you go through the process. Go. So after college, I got a job, you know, is what I thought would be a cool job, which is to be a radio station DJ. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Actually, it was a really cool job. I had an afternoon shift in Santa Barbara, California, and I thought I was living the dream until I kind of looked around and saw that the other DJs who'd been there for 10 to 15 years weren't kind of living the dream that I had imagined because the truth was there was no money in it. They would work for roughly four hours, get paid for a part-line job, and that would be about it. So I was kind of wondering what would be – what then my next step was, but not only me, my parents are really curious to see, you know, they didn't think this was the right thing for me. So they introduced me to a friend named Pat. And what Pat ended up doing was saying, you know what, you should look at commercial insurance because commercial insurance gives you the opportunity for a couple of things. The first thing is if you want, you can make big money being a commercial insurance agent. Or if you want, what you could do is you could go and after grinding your teeth for a while, get to a spot where you're like, this is great and turn it into a lifestyle career. 
I well, can't believe your parents didn't want you to be a DJ. I know. <laughs> I know. Maybe what I need, Kyle, I didn't have your voice. That was it. I needed oh, a child, cool voice. There's no way. My, you know what? My, my you know voice what is trash. Is, yeah. What, what I think is crazy is like you could literally be a full service gas station attendant. And at some point in that career, somebody's going to come up and say, you know what you should do? Commercial insurance. Like literally, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it never ceases to amaze me. Nobody I, – I would bet you that 5 to 10% of the people that are involved in commercial insurance right now intentionally said that's what I want to do. The right. rest yeah. of them, we all – I ran grocery stores and super targets, man. I had no interest in commercial insurance or doing it. Every single person that I know in my – you know, in my circle, all started out doing something completely random compared to where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is so true. I mean, you even take a look at you know going to college and a lot of colleges, they don't even bring up this huge industry, the insurance industry. I think Georgia actually might have a program for it, maybe a couple of other colleges. But outside of that, for uh, an industry that has, I don't know, what, millions of people in it, you don't hear about that as a profession that you really want to go into. So right. that was my story too. So anyway, uh, Pat kind of talk, talked me up about commercial insurance and I thought, you know, this was really pretty good. So uh, roughly 20 years ago, I ended up starting out at a small mom and pop place to cut my teeth on commercial insurance. And uh, it was a tough road there because, you know, part of it was it's it is tough to go into it because they kind of the senior people always kind of explains, Hey, you're going to have this house. You're going to look at the sunset. This is a fantastic uh, industry for you, which it is, but it takes a while to get through. Yeah, It's not and an overnight, you know, it's immediate not an thing. overnight. Yes. Yes. And so, I mean, day one, I sat down there and the owner just basically dropped back in those days, a giant yellow book, boom, right on my desk and said, start making calls. And that was really all the sales training that I had at that company. <laughs> so uh, that's awesome. Yeah, isn't that great? He was totally old school. Uh, a fun quick story about that is he used to quiz me in the car as we would drive to and from appointments. And he had one <laughs> of these. Yeah, he had one of these dual. You know, when the dual kind of climate control would change. Yep. So he would have one of those in the car and the seat warmers. So I'm driving around in California and it's like, you know, I don't know, 90 degrees outside. And he would just pepper me on questions. And every question that I would get right, he would turn my air conditioner down to cool off my side. Every question I got wrong. <laughs> Dude, this guy is ridiculous. Was, I would, I would, would punch this up. guy in the face. Well, yeah, I, I probably should have, but it was great because I cut my teeth on there for three years. I, you know, the truth is I probably didn't make him any money in the whole midst of this because by the time I really got good, I realized he was not the right person for me to work. So mm-hmm. uh, I took a job at a large alphabet house uh, up in San Francisco, California, which was great, had great success there, had good training, focused a lot on contractors in the service industry there, book of, built a book of business. Uh, and that was great. Um and then at that time, my wife and I, who are living in San Francisco, got pregnant with our first child and had to make some choices at that point. So even though I made a very good book of business, what we actually decided to do was to make a lifestyle choice and move from California up to Oregon. 
and was able to make that switch. So uh, I'm up in Oregon now. Uh, even though I built a large book of business, it really didn't transfer. And now I'm working for a regional shop because they offered me ownership in this. And it was great. So worked with them. I was able to build another big book of business. Through that, they say, you're really good at the sales thing. How would you like to train some of our producers and help qualify them to get them off of uh, off of the agency drawn to get them on a commission base? Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing that for uh, all three of them. All three did qualify to get on how, commission. How was that when they first asked you to do that? I mean, like, w- were you a little bit hesitant? Or you're like, no, nah, I got this. I'm, you know, I, I, I would actually like to train people. Well, confidence has never been my problem. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> or maybe another way of saying that is ego hasn't really been my problem. But uh, kind of what the nut they kept throwing me is if you continue to work well for us, we're going to give you agency ownership. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I thought is I'm going to continue to follow what they want me to do because it gets me a closer step to agency ownership. And, and that's kind of what I really wanted to do. So, uh, anyway, I took that challenge on and all three of them, uh, qualified and became full commission producers. Nice. And sure enough, um, uh, with the success of that, they did offer me ownership within the company. So that's what I ended up doing. I did that for a number of years as well. But what I found out, uh, was as soon as I became an owner, a lot of my conversations changed. Because yes, I was repping property and casualty insurance products and I was doing very well at that. But when you have an owner talking to another owner, the conversations move from just the product that you sell to helping the owner build their business. And what I would find now, and you know, in one sense, it was great for building rapport, and I would recommend this is if I was out and having meeting, an hour meeting with uh one of my clients, we would spend 55 minutes focused on their business. And at the end, they're like, oh, yeah, Bob, weren't you actually here to sell me insurance? You're like, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, let's go through this five minutes of insurance and then boom out to lunch where we're talking about their business again. And Mm -hmm. in a weird way, it was wonderful, but it almost soiled me from being a commercial insurance producer because all of my conversations then turned to how I can elevate business. And then it's kind of like what I'd like to say, I'm driving down the road and you know the car's going just fine. We're going 60, 65 miles an hour, but it's just pulling a little bit one direction. And I couldn't figure out as a commercial insurance direct, a commercial insurance producer, what was pulling me in that direction. And basically what it was is I loved working with clients but the vessel of insurance wasn't right for me. What I want would be the working on the vessel of helping businesses continue to grow. And so about uh, three years ago, I made the decision that I was going to move on, sold the shares in my agency, and at this point have helped insurance brokers ever since look to drive their sales and business growth. So I've got a couple questions for you. Number one, you know, you're basically a peer of the people that they want you to go in and train, albeit that when you're in the agency structure in most agencies, if you have a, a good book of business, you're, you know, you're regarded as one of the top producers. You're typically viewed in a little bit more favorably light by everybody and yourself for all practical purposes, right? Been, been there, done that. 
I, but I, but I'm interested in the obstacles that you faced when you had to take on that new role inside of the agency where you were working. Yeah, you know, to touch on that point a little bit, I think one of the reasons they chose me and the difference between what I did versus some of the other producers was my growth was organically based because insurance brokers can kind of grow in a couple of different ways. Either you have organic growth where you go out and you get new customers and bring them in, or you get acquired growth, which is, and this is what happened at the company, where they had a series of owners that retired, but they didn't want to sell out. And so they basically gave those clients to the other producers, which is great. It's a wonderful way to grow, but it doesn't have the in the trenches organic nature of that growth. And that is why they chose me over the peers because I actually went out and produced new business not maintained a book that somebody else initially produced. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I actually ran into the pretty much the same thing as when, when I started in the industry. I, I was working at, a, at a, what's now a, a massive agency um, here in Tampa. And by massive, I mean, they went public last November. So mm-hmm. they're massive, massive. And they have, they've grown through, grown through acquisition across the country pretty rapidly over the last decade. But you know, what I found was when I started there, the guys that I was peers with were all blue blood South Tampa dudes. They were three mm-hmm. three generations deep in South Tampa. You know, their their dad had a Rolodex that they could tap. But yep. the problem is that Rolodex only has so many cards in it. And here I am, a blue collar kid coming in from the grocery industry who had to develop a system for himself mm-hmm. to go out and organically grow. And I actually ended up being the most valuable producer because my pipeline never dried up. Yes. You know, I never got to a point where I had to be like, Oh crud, I don't have any more referrals from, from my family. Now what I was constantly going. And so it, it's interesting because I think a lot of times, um, you know, when I look back, I would I wouldn't change anything at all that I did when I the way that I started my career. It was a little, it was a little slower for me to ramp up because I had to build the foundation and get a, a pipeline and a process in place and begin to populate it and follow up with people and do all of those things. But the sustainability of the organic production was literally uh, perpetual at that point. As you long wouldn't as have I- had near the success if you wouldn't have had to do that. No, I, I promise you. It's, it, yeah. it, I think everybody should have to do that. And I mean, even today, when I talk with you know different agency principals or producers who are friends of mine, that's the one thing that they always you know are not doing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just simply ask when, when people say, "How do you produce middle market? How do you get a book that's a million dollars? How do you do this? How do you do that?" My first question is, "What's your process?" Yes. You know, what, what is the process that you have? And very rarely is there a process ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. I asked the question too. I asked the question of the process. And then I also asked the question of how have your uh, best producers acquired their business? And that question really opens my mind and my eyes to figure out how they're doing it. Because at that point, they're going to say, oh, yeah, you know what? They've been like you, David. They've been like you, Bob. They've pounded the pavement. They've come up with a process that has been able for them to get their own clients and build their book. Or else you might get the other guys who are like, yeah, you know what? We've had this guy here. He's been here for 20 years. He's just kind of been average. 
but all of a sudden ownership or people leave and all, and he builds in a book that way. I call those people actually the outlasters because all they've done is they've outlasted everyone else at the agency and they haven't grown organically, which really as an agency owner and principal doesn't help your bottom line. All that kind of does is keep it steady. And what I want to do is increase the bottom line and the profitability of the agency. And in order to do that, David, you know this, we need organic growth. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me. I think that the one thing that it that really I find to be intriguing about the insurance industry more than anything else is you really have a choice. Like you can you can make a very comfortable living in a very you know, working a very comfortable work schedule. If you want to stop, let, let's just say that you're getting a you know, 25 cents on the dollar at renewal. If you go out and you build a half million dollar book, you're making $125,000 a year yeah. handling your renewals and people are satisfied with that, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's one one of the biggest frustrations I could see, you know, in in any agency would be how do you motivate and push those people to continue to drive business at the same rate for a prolonged period of time? Like because I think everybody's got a comfort point where they're just, you know what, I'm good. 200000 a year, I'll take it. That's great money. I don't really care. And so for me, you know, one of the things that's important to me is that I have partners, right? I want people who have equity in my firm. I want them to earn that equity, but I want them to understand that prolonged production magnifies the value of the asset they're building in addition to the income that they're building. Mm-hmm. And I think that people end up being short-sighted in that they can they can look at the income and what's happening in their income statement and find, you know, it, it'll convince themselves they're building wealth with no real understanding of the fact they're not really building an asset base. And that's yeah. that's the huge difference. So for me, that's what I've done, you know, to combat that is I want everybody to have a path to equity. I am not a greedy person. You know, I'm perfectly fine sharing equity. If somebody's helped me build my firm, I want to reward them with that. I want I want to reward them with equity because I look at it this way. When it's time for me to leave, I win either way. Either I have a bunch of partners that have the ability to use the revenue stream from the agency to buy me out through distributions, or I can go sell to a third party and they all have a nice financial windfall that they wouldn't have had otherwise because they're equity partners in the firm with me. I want to do it to protect myself and I want to do it to protect and motivate them. And I think that, um, you know, I don't want to, to go down too many rabbit holes here, but one of the things that I notice in, in the agency world is there's not an overwhelming majority of the agency principals who think that way. Uh, most of the agency principals that I talk with or a good number of them anyhow uh, are under the impression that they built the agency on their back, that they took all of the risk, and therefore they should get all of the reward. And I could not disagree with those people more. And I would argue that they will always have a ceiling to how fast they can grow, how high they can get, without being able to, you know, relinquish some of the the equity in, in the firm to create partners. Probably the same guys that are not willing to invest in technology. <laughs> yes, very likely, very very likely. Yeah, what I, I would agree with that there, David. I really commend you on that because that's one of the things when I meet with 
uh, insurance agency owners, I ask what their per, uh, perpetuation is. And that will tell me a lot more about the owner almost than anything else. Because if they have a plan for perpetuating the company out and actually creating a legacy within the company, those are the people that are great to actually work with. Because I honestly believe that when people get to the 60 or the 65 years old, they're looking around and their mindset shifts from this is what I did to now I want to have this legacy that I leave behind. And if they have not put the steps in place for that, by the time they're that age, it's really difficult for them. And ultimately, I find they really don't have much of a choice where they either continue to work their agency almost until they die at their desk or else they have to sell to one of the regional or the national broker's house. And at that point, everything that they have created gets transferred over to the buying partner. So yeah, and I, I would think that the about the, the um, valuation of the agency would be affected in a negative way because they don't have a formalized perpetuation plan. Yeah, that is very true. Uh, when you take a look at that, the, the, the value is there. And then the other thing, too, is a lot of people also think that, hey, you know, I'm going to sell out to the big boys. I'm just going to wash my hands and move on. And that's not what they want. Usually. No. They can, that's not how that happens, man. That's not how that happens. You have to stay on for at least the people I work with in Oregon who are doing this for a minimum of two more years and to make sure that those policies continue to renew that way, which also isn't guaranteed because if people realize, uh-oh, we're going from you know what I'm used to, this comfortable shop, to now this larger, let's say, national group that's not locally based anymore – you know, as the policyholder, as the customer, they might lose comfortability there. So another reason that I think it's important to perpetuate within the organization is that you have control and your clients also have trust for what's going to happen with them should the agency principal choose to retire or move on. And Yeah. And the other thing that happens in those situations is in almost every case that I'm aware of, that person that sells is now not only required to stick around, but they have production goals again and an earnout provision. Yes. That if they don't hit those numbers, the yes. amount of money they get for their exit is drastically reduced. Yes. Take somebody who thought they were on the glide path, and it's almost like Top Gun when you know they're getting ready to land on the aircraft carrier and whoop, nope, sorry, just kidding, we got to go get goose and, and pull up and right. uh, you know go rescue the right. they're, they're back yeah, to rescue go- cougar, right? Exactly. That's crazy. So as you're, you know, talk a little bit about what you're doing now. I mean, I, I, your branding is really good, man. I mean, I, I, I can, I have an appreciation for people who, who have good branding and have created a personal brand. And I mean, your, your social media presence is good. You're consistent. Um, you know, I, I just, I enjoy following the things that you put out. So, so talk a little bit about what that's been like for you to make that transition from, you know, producer to agency production trainer internally to doing your own consulting gig and having the level of freedom that goes with that. Yeah. So what I ended up doing is, you know, through my 20 years of experience and trying to figure out exactly how to basically sell, I kind of came up with areas that I look to try to grow my book of business. And what I looked to do was created something which I call the growth matrix. And what the growth matrix does is it looks at six 
different components around your business that help your business grow. And you have to focus on each one of these components to get the most effective growth strategy. So, for example, a lot of people just might say, hey, you know what? I want to go and figure out how I can get more customers or how I can get referrals from my customers. And that's great. That's one element of my growth matrix. But what they may not do would be focusing on some of the others. And some of the ones that I see that are left behind is what I call the tracking element, which is what are you doing to track your numbers and actually have accountability so that you aren't losing prospects that you should get by not having a good system in place to track those numbers. And another area that's left behind is the coaching element. Coaching element is where you sit down and you continue to pour into every single person in your sales staff, as well as, you know, if you wanted to do it, your customer service staff as well. So you are constantly building them up as well as providing what I call the third eye perspective on things. So, you know, you might have a producer who's, who's in the trenches and is working on something and they can only see it from their perspective. But you can come along and say, have you considered this? Or in my experience, could you try this? And, you know, that's one of the things that I love because it's kind of like the aha moment where the people see that. I'm like, I didn't realize that I had this blind spot right here. Thank you very much. I'm going to address this based upon what your feedback is to be able to go out and to gain more business. So, again, the growth matrix has six key components around it that we look to get total agency growth instead of just saying, hey, David, just go out, just get new customers, okay? Go, go do that. That to me, uh, what I have found in training my producers, if you do that, you aren't nearly as effective and you become lurching so much to that direction that other opportunities within the program are missed. What what's like the most common shortfall that you've seen? I'm, I'm sure you've been able to identify trends when agencies bring you on and say, "Hey, we want help with, uh, you know, growing our book of business." Like, has there been a lot of similarities? Like, what what's your take on that? Yeah, uh, there are several. I'll hit a couple quickly. The first one is companies don't really have a solidified sales process that they go through to determine. And again, with the sales process, what I like to say, it's for 80% of the customers or prospects go through this. But you have this actual sales process that is utilized and followed by everybody. So that not only is, is it good for you to get business, but as you get new producers in, you can train them quickly on what this sales process does. So Bob, let me stop you for one second. How yeah. ridiculous is that, right? I mean, here we are talking about the top line revenue is typically what's most important for any agency, right? They're always talking about drive new business, drive new business, drive new business. And yet I, I firmly believe 80% of the agencies in the country today, I, I can't speak to the personal line side, but in the, in the commercial PNC side, I'm saying this from a a position of relative authority because I talk to a lot of agency owners across the country, but I also remember what it was like coming from outside the industry trying to get hired. And the number one excuse 
for not hiring me was we really don't have any way to train you, man. We don't have a process that we can we can put you into. So we don't want to we don't we don't want to put you in that kind of a position. That's just nuts to me. That should mm-hmm. be the first thing anybody does. Put a process in place to drive revenue. Yep. Figure out the rest when you're done. Yes. I agree. It's completely backwards. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. It's amazing how many companies either they don't have it or else they have it and they don't use it, David. That's the other thing that blows my mind. Oh, great. We have the sales process. Terrific. Do you actually implement it? And you just hear the crickets, uh, you know, well, no, or you get the excuse train. Well, we wanted to do this or we aren't sure. Or the one that I love best is, well, we're constantly tweaking it. So we can't release it because we're constantly tweaking. We have to work on this last thing. It's ridiculous. You know, put this thing out, get this in place. Yes, there might have to be one or two little tweaks that you have to do to it. But at least for a majority of your customers that are going through this or your prospects are going through this, you actually have a system for that. I will tell you this. Everybody listening needs to hear what is getting ready to come out of my mouth because I completely believe in this. But my good friend Bernie Borges has a, a, a quote that he uses all the time that says, imperfect action will always supersede perfect inaction. And I think that's where we're at, man. People aren't willing to just start pushing forward. So what? Everybody has to tweak everything. That's called evolution, right? Yeah, like yes. we didn't, <laughs> name one thing in life that doesn't have to be tweaked over time. Does that mean you don't stop? I mean, we would still have people walking 15 miles to get to the store because cars aren't perfect. Right. I mean, the whole that whole logic, you know what is honestly, it's it, it's a cop out and it's an excuse. And quite frankly, I love the fact that 80% of the agencies in the country think that way because we will squash them. Yes, exactly it. Yes, it puts a competitive advantage for the ones who have a sales process over the ones, you know, kind of like my old boss on day one. Boom, here's the yellow pages. Go call. You have a sales process? Yeah, sales process. Start with the A's. Start dialing. You know, no, that's not <laughs> it. Uh so, well, I mean, think about this, we, you know, it's funny because the podcast that's going to drop this coming Wednesday was with a guy that's responsible for um, digital, uh, digital and product for Zywave, right? Which mm-hmm. we're a huge, we are a huge Zywave agency. Mm-hmm. I probably mention them on eighty percent of the podcasts that we do because we have built our business around using <clears throat> a lot of their products. Shoot, but you, I, should, you should get a sponsorship sponsorship from them. Yeah, well, they listened to the podcast, so I'm glad you were the one that did that. Uh, (laughs) But but my my point when I was talking with Bobby was, um, you know, I don't believe that it's ever the process. I always believe that it's the person. Mm -hmm. If you have the process, the process is an inanimate object. People are what screw processes up. In in Zywave, I use the example with them a lot because we do believe – in their product. We believe in Modmaster and Broker Briefcase, and there are a lot of reasons why we have been able to write good middle market business using their product as a smaller agency, not a regional firm or an alphabet house that could just bring those resources inside. They have allowed us to be very successful in doing that. But if I pull agencies across the country, when I talk to them, or if I'm in one of my Um, internet groups of agency owners or whatever, if somebody brings up the question about talk to me about Zywave, 50% of the people are going to love it. 50% of the people are going to hate it. And it's always the same thing. If you ask the follow-up question, well, 
Why didn't it work in your agency? Oh, I never should have bought it to begin with. Well, how's that their problem? You're the one that made the decision to buy it. Or they buy the product and then they never use it. They don't force execution. They don't have a process or a workflow around that. Whereas in our agency, you know, we have a sales process around Zywave using Modmaster and experience modification analysis. And then using the tools from Broker Briefcase to be the treatment plan for what we diagnose is wrong with the mod. But we take it a step further. Every single commercial account that comes into our agency gets access to the MyWave Connect portal. And we have a an onboarding workflow around that through a series of email automations with video that walk these people through. Here's your credentials. Here's what you're going to see when you go in there. Here are the top tools that our clients are using. Here are the things we think would benefit you. And then open up the conduit for communication so that if they do have questions, they can ask. We're, we, we are taking business every single day because we provide that resource. And it just blows me away. Why would any business take the agency world and throw it out the window? Why would any business make an investment on anything at all in their business without projecting a positive ROI on that investment and then mapping out the plan to achieve that positive ROI? Yeah, it's just ridiculous. You're absolutely right, David. And actually, funny enough, going back to what Kyle asked, what are some of the areas that I see? So the first one is developing the sales process. And then the second one is what we're talking about having some sort of CRM or tracking system that is actually implemented and used by all of the people within the office. It's amazing because you'll ask that question. Do you have a CRM system? Yes. You know what? 90% of them are going to say, yes, we do. Great. How uh, do you fully integrate in that CRM system? And then you'll hear the crickets. Now, you know, maybe 30% do. But 30% to 90% is huge. And you think, what is being missed? Because it's not being tracked. It's not being measured in that system. Or the other side of it is... Take it a step further and, I mean, say, talk to me a little bit about exactly how you're using it, right? Because Mm -hmm. it might just be a repository for names and email addresses. Exactly. They're using it the right way. Mm -hmm. But are you using it for onboarding workflows? Are you using it for drip email campaigns? Do you have predefined metrics in place that are establishing lead scores for people based on the digital behaviors of them interacting with your content and your website? Do you know the bounce rate for your website? Mm -hmm. Does every blog post that you have have a call to action that requires them to do something in order for you to give them something in return? And is that being measured? I mean, I can go down so many rabbit holes. So obviously, Bob, we have a CRM. And we're using our CRM. Yes. But, you know, it's crazy that that even, even when you ask people that, it, it, we, we run into this in, in the client-facing meetings too, where we'll ask the questions. We already know, based on what the loss runs say, whether or not somebody has a return-to-work program. Mm-hmm. We know if there are low-dollar indemnity claims on the loss runs, right. we know that there is no return-to-work program in place. So yep. we ask the question. How's your return to work program working? Oh, great. We've had it in place now for a little bit, blah, blah, blah. Oh, really? So it, I, I, I always just run right right past that. And my next question is, oh, so you have the uh, – you've, you've gone and met with the clinic, right? And you've met the doctor and you've explained. And I walk well, – Yeah, I walk them through the process of what a full-blown return to work looks like. And all of a sudden, it, it, it's like, holy cow, I just gave them a gut punch and they can't breathe for the next 10 minutes. Right. 
Right. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it. I mean, when it looks at the, the CRM, the agency management system, I see it in two different areas as the ability not to be able to gain clients because you're not using it, as well as accounting. There is lost money sometimes that are in these systems that hasn't been tracked. And so when they start putting everything there, like, oh, we haven't even charged or we haven't gotten commission or the insurance company hasn't billed us for all of these different things. And honestly, for my fee, usually you can find all of that money in that tracking component, Yep, which will pay for my fee at least once or twice over. Yeah, I, I the it's crazy. And, you know, you would think that our technology as an industry would be better, but, you know, it, it's really wild. You know, we're, we're in what is relatively a um, regu- highly regulated industry, and you would think that we would be held to a higher standard of accounting and all of the other things that, that we should be. But, you know, I've been in this industry for going on 20 years now, too. And I don't know that I've ever once seen the first run of a producer commission statement or book of business report come from an agency management system and be 100% right, ever. Right, right. Exactly right. Yeah. And and that's one of the things that we can find. So one of the things about my growth matrix is finding money and finding opportunities. And that's where that tracking component comes into place. When you're going in and working with these agencies, is it 100% revolving around the sales function or are you actually getting involved in some of the servicing piece as well? Yeah, when I spin it, I I talk about sales, but a lot of it is sales, but a lot of it is also revenue. And what revenue could mean to me is the actual revenue that you're looking to build or else kind of I would almost say the inactive revenue of not having good quality management systems in place with Uh, the account management team or working with that as well, because you're taking a look at revenue. A lot of people just look at the actual dollars. Great. And I can help you gain more revenue dollars, but I also want to hit on revenue efficiency. And that is what can we do to shore up either processes or workflows or customer retention rate or client services that we can do to be able to limit money that is going out the door because that inactive revenue at the end of the day uh, can add up substantially almost as much as the actual active revenue. You know, so you don't have a, a, a sales process in place. And so you have a young producer and they're thinking, and you think they're doing pretty well, but because you don't have this in place, you're making it twice as difficult. And all of a sudden David calls and says, Oh, by the way, we see that you're pretty good. We'd like to bring you on board to our team. Plus, our team has a a sales process for you to do. We have this, we have this, we have this. And we'll coach you up and we'll do all of those things. And the next thing you know, your number one salesman is now working for your competitor Mm -hmm. because you did not put everything in place for the other um, actual components of the growth matrix. So, yes, there is revenue that we always want to make sure there's more revenue coming in, but it's also what can we do with the revenue that you have to protect it so it doesn't go out the back door. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what we're talking about here kind of reminds me of my days when I was selling the office supplies. I would go um, B2B, Bob, see 30, 40, 50 businesses a day. Um, and it was a, it, it, you want to talk about a, like a fine tuned process. That's one thing that I'll give them. One thing that I learned and, you know, will always take away is 
there was a process and we did not stray from it because the process worked and it was easy, easily transferable to the newest person in the room. Like we could teach them the pitch and we could teach them the ways that we're going through this with the customer and anybody could pick up on that. So I think it's important that when you have a process, that that process is simple and that the newest person who has no insurance knowledge whatsoever, you know, can pick up on that. Um, Otherwise it's going to be, otherwise you're going to run in the same situation that you just talked about. You're going to have, you know, your, your top guys or, um, you know, whoever leaving and going, going elsewhere. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's one other element to, um, the inactive revenue and that is sales culture. And that is a huge thing that all, I would say most back off from all most insurance brokers have to work on is to get that sales culture of how well, is the executive team talking to the sales force, talking to the account management team, talking to the accounting and creating a good agency culture is another huge variable. Because if you don't have that good culture in place, then at some point people are going to have the look over the fence. Maybe the grass is greener somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Uh and I think that definitely depends on the size of the agency too. Would, would you say that you see that, you know, it's size dependent where the culture is, you know, I guess. Um, I think size dependent is one thing, but it's also about looking in there and making sure really you don't have one giant rotten apple. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I have found where I've talked to agency owners where they're like, yeah, you know what? Our number two producer, he does he produces a lot, but he is a jerk. Mm -hmm. And because of that, he has really, you know, we've had turnover in the account management positions. Uh, he's really belittles other people within the office, creating kind of a hostile environment. I came from a company like that. And that's kind of where it was, where when a producer would walk by, you would physically see the account managers duck their head under the top of their cubicles so they wouldn't make eye contact with this individual. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. The other one that I cannot stand is I cannot stand a victim, right? I think you would be hard-pressed to find any other agency in the country that gives more resources to producers to go out and produce business. Now, <clears throat> let me put a qualifier on that. <clears throat> you would be hard-pressed to find another agency of the size and the age of my agency that's willing to do that. You, you're going to find other agencies that can do it, but they've also been around for a couple of decades and have, you know, 10 million plus in revenue coming in. And, you know, the, to me, you know, I I'm a hundred percent with you. Number one, that guy would never work with me because a, we would, we would butt heads and I would cut him off at the knees. <clears throat> I have said from day one, that one of the biggest issues of disparity in the agency world is the chasm that grows between production and servicing yes. because producers think that they hung the moon and they do all the work. So they should be valued the highest and service people think, well, I'm the one that does all the work to keep the business on the books. The producer really doesn't do anything at all. And there's this inherent, um, you know, battle between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why everybody in our agency has path to equity. I don't care if you're sales or service. Mm -hmm. I want you all on the same team and I want all of you to think like owners. But the bigger problem to me and the one I think every I think every agency's got a producer that's got an ego. You know as well as I do, Bob, that to be successful, you have to have a little bit of an edge to you in this yep. industry. Yes. You're going to and and I think that a lot of times 
in my experience, you there's a smooth way to have that edge though. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that people lack that smoothness. They don't have the ability to dial it back and be a relatable person. It's okay to be aggressive. It's okay to want to go out and kill new business and drag it back to the cave. Mm-hmm. It, it's another whole thing to be a jerk, right? right. But the one that's as big of a cancer than anything else to me is when you're a victim, Right. And so I've had this. It's not always rainbows and unicorns at Florida Risk Partners. I tell people this when I talk to them all the time. And, you know, after four years in business, I've had one guy that was a rotten apple. He was terrible. He was a cancer to the organization. And the second that he was gone, we exponentially started growing again. Yes. New business on the books everybody's happy. They enjoy coming to work because we're not sitting here listening to some guy bitching about how the world's against him, mm-hmm. but he's not doing his job. Like I, I had the, I had a very direct conversation with this guy where I told him, you're not a salesperson. Yes, I am. I've had three or four jobs in sales. I said, well, your numbers tell me you're not, you should right. find something else to do. Yes, exactly. It. Yes. But that's, you hit on some great points there because you can have that one rotten apple and that one rotten apple could be in production or I've seen that one rotten apple be on the account management side of things. And if they start poisoning the well against the company or the ownership of the company, it creates all sorts of problems. I mean, one of the first things that I look to do when I meet with businesses, and this is the first component I discuss is what I call the motivation component. And that is the motivation component. We will sit down and we will write what defines a good agency and what defines a good employee of the agency, an employee that you want. And we list and we come down to five of those on each side. And then we say, okay, right now we're going to make sure that we announce this to the company and we're going to make sure that people are on board. And if they're on board with those things, sure, they might, you know, they might politically disagree or they might be a Chevy truck versus a Ford truck guy. I can deal with that. What I can't deal with is if they are breaching the five things we want to be as a company and the five things we want our employees to be. And if, if anything goes awry there, boom, we're right into the discipline of, okay, great. Here's our first meeting. We're going to address it. Uh, we're going to revisit it again in 30 or 90 days, whatever it is. We redress it again. If it's still a problem, that's your, you know, that's your second strike with the third strike being out. And then you have to move off of them. But, but the whole key is, is coming back to figuring out as an agency, what do you want to represent as your core values and what you want to represent as the key characteristics for your employees? And I tell them, put this down and actually present this routinely to your staff. Maybe you do it every 30 days or 60 days. At a minimum, do it at least once a year of this is who we are. This is what we believe in. And these are the kind of people that we want rowing the boat the same direction that we are. How long are you typically, sorry, dude. Um, I I was going to ask how long you're typically engaging with your clients. Yeah. So my system is an annual system. Uh, I'm at least on there for one year. And Mm -hmm. usually at that point, I will ask to see if they would like a second year. I found that they have because it takes a while 
in a sense, for me to assess them and for them, once the assessment has been made, to implement some changes going forward. So at minimum, my minimum contract is one year with them because sometimes you'll meet them and think, oh, yeah, great. You know, it's great to meet you, Bob. After four months, we got this whole thing figured out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you sure do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you might think you do, but uh, let's put this into place for a full year. And so at the end of that, then if they want to move on, great. We kind of have that kind of plan B program with the growth matrix of how we can continue on with them. But got it. Uh, I would say, and this is everything, and this is going back to sales process. So we're kind of circling back here. With the sales process, you've got to put this in place and hold it in place for a year. I worked with a company, shoot, um, quite recently, who they went through a sales process, they put this in place, and then they scrapped it 90 days into it. And sure enough, then they worked again, uh, created a new sales process. That one went another 90 days or six months, and they scrapped it again. And, the, and he's wondering why he can't get buy-in from his employees. And the truth was the employees are concerned that, you know, every three or six months, we're going to have to reinvent an entire sales process again. And that's going to be exhausting. And we're going to have to recreate the wheel here. So kind of like with my engagement with the sales process, you have to put this, David, you're absolutely right. It's not going to be perfect. It's imperfect, but it's imperfect action. And once we set this up, it's going straight for 12 months. Yeah, and here's here's my two cents. Agency owners that are listening to this, it's your fault, period. End of story. The buck stops with you. You can't have your name on the documents for incorporation and on the outside of the building and only sit back and revel in the glory when you have the wins. You have to be accountable for when things aren't going the right way either. So I'll be the first person to tell you, I let the person that was the cancer in my organization exist for probably nine months longer than I should because I don't know, maybe part of it was an ego thing on my part that I didn't want to admit that I had make, made a mistake. Maybe I wanted to give this person the benefit of the doubt, but never at one time did I not honor my word to that person and their family. But more importantly, you know, my team would see, okay, David's really going above and beyond to be patient here. Kyle be the first person to tell you that he'd have cut this guy off at the knee six months in, and I should have. But You know, we are the ones who decide what we will and will not tolerate. And sometimes, you know, maybe I maybe I have the wrong career and I should have worked at the Humane Society or something like that, where I'm fostering rescue animals and bringing them back to a normal life. But, you know, that's (laughs) agency world. It's funny you mentioned that because there's a lot of businesses out there and they're good hearted people who say, "Okay, I want to rescue this producer who's had who's taken their lumps at all of these agencies. Or I can be the one that can fix this account manager who's had four or five stops in the past 10 years. And the goal, I say, is you are in the goal to protect your business and to grow your business. You are not in the goal to rescue people. If you are, okay, fine, but you're going to create a whole bunch of additional problems when you should be focusing on actually growing that business. And the fact is you're, you're creating problems with the other 80 or 90% of the people on your team. Yes. They're as fed up as you are. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. 
Well, listen, man, we've been we've been going almost an hour now. I want to go ahead and wrap up. I mean, I'd love to have you back on at some point. We could go for days talking to you. But in the meantime, what I really like for you to do is let people know how they can find you, how they can interact with you on social media. And if they want to find out more about, you know, the growth matrix and what you do, where do they do that? Yeah. So uh, what my program basically does, I have what's called the breakaway consulting program. And it's kind of what we do. We talk about the six areas of the growth matrix. We meet on a quarterly or a monthly basis and we go through the entire agency and it is transformative. So uh, what I would love to do is say, if you want to, I would gladly have a 30 minute phone conversation, which would actually be fairly similar to the conversation that we've had here and learning much more about your business. So the way they can reach out to me is either through my email, which is very simple. It's bob at bobpaskins.com. And Paskins is P as in page, A-S-K-I-N-S. So bob at bobpaskins.com. You can go to my website, which is bobpaskins.com, or I'll even put my number here. Kyle, you can decide if you're going to publish it or not. But if they want to reach out to me individually, it's 503 Two seven eight zero nine seven two. Feel free to say that we heard that you heard about me through the Power Producers. And the one last thing I would say is, if anyone emails me and puts the subject line Power Producers in the email, or calls me up or texts me and says I heard about you from Power Producers, I'll give you ten percent off of any fees that we would have for my consulting programs. There you go. So here's the deal, guys. If you just heard what this man said, he laid out exactly what he's going to ask you in a 30-minute phone conversation. Don't be a freaking numbnuts and not have the answers to the questions if he's being gracious enough to give you his time. If he's going to talk to you, be prepared for the conversation. Pick up the phone, call him, and be honest in answering your questions. At the end of the day, self-evaluation is where true change and transformation starts. And I think a lot of us have a problem looking in the mirror and realizing that the real problem in our agencies is staring back at us. Bob, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. And we look forward to having you back on in the near future. David, thank you very much. I really appreciate the conversation, both with you and with Kyle. I look forward to coming back on. Absolutely. Thanks, Bob. We'll talk soon, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.